listening to another powerful message from C3 Southwest Washington. We are so excited you're here with us, and we believe God has more in store for you. A couple things to update you on as, as you go ahead and grab your seat and grab your Bible. Uh, we have, uh, we've restarted our men's prayer on Thursdays at 6 o'clock, so all guys, you're more than welcome to come and join us here, pop in for a few minutes or for the full hour. Uh, usually we uh, enjoy a cup of coffee and we have a couple topics that we'll be praying about, but we press in, and if there's two guys or if there's 20 guys, we want to get after the things that God has for us. Also, um, next week, I think that you'll notice uh, on Friday, guys, we are having Axe Night. Now, I'm going to ask Josh to come up here. He's got an apple that he's going to balance on his head, and we're going to do a little axe throwing. I'm just kidding, Josh. Um, this is one of the uh, gift sets that we're going to be giving away to guys. These are sharp. I was taking them out of the box today and trying to remind myself safety first. I could hear Brenton whispering in my ear all the things that I needed to do to, to be careful. But if you've ever been involved with axe throwing, it's pretty, pretty fascinating, a lot of fun. Uh, I know that since we started doing this, some of the guys have stuff set up at their homes. We are having an axe-throwing competition, and we've got a couple of sets of axes that we'll be giving away. Uh, and that's going to be the kickoff to Father's Day weekend. We also have a special gathering next Sunday uh, with our fathers in mind. I think we're going to pull, uh, we're going to set up a special set out in the lobby, so the pictures will be unusual, and they will be ATV-ish, if you know what I'm saying. I think that we're just going to bring his side-by-side, side and we're going to park it right out there in the lobby, let people climb on it and pose on it and get the beach shot. I might come with my shorts and... No, that Never mind, that won't happen. <laughs> okay, I'm going to hand this off to maybe Leslie. Be careful. Um, and so with that, we're jumping into our third, uh, our third session in uh, discipleship, but it's, um, it's actually... I'll run, I got the slides, guys. Actually, this isn't even working. (laughs) I I would have it if I could figure out what I'm doing. Um, Yes, that's where we're at. We're we're in the third lesson, but we're actually in part B of the second lesson. Asterisk, star, quotient to the two. Um, the, The rabbit trail of the offset will probably grow, but we're talking about... Uh, this idea that discipleship is a catalyst to unlocking spiritual things, that there's all sorts of different levels of discipleship, uh, including the people, as we talked about last week, who are never Jesusers. They're people who uh, don't want anything to do with Jesus because they already have their own version of Jesus, the God of their life, and they're happy with the God of their life, even though uh, it's not going to turn out well. There might be moments of enjoyment, but the never Jesusers, I still see them in a discipleship process. They are people that we continue to try to reach, but they're also people that we don't spend a lot of time arguing with or trying to prove with, uh, with words alone that God is really who he says he is because their mind is made up and because their mind is natural and not spiritual, it's hard for them to even begin to understand spiritual things. We talked about the people who are unbelievers, that next step closer towards Jesus. Unbelievers are people who have either that they don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, they don't believe he's who you say he is, or they're just somewhat undecided in the process. They haven't come to that place where they really believe that he's worth following, or he's reliable, or he's trustworthy. Then a step further in, 
is what we call the likers. These are the people who uh, have experienced some of the good things of Jesus. Uh, in the New Testament, there were maybe people who went to hear him speak, and he healed one of their family members, and they, they loved that. They, they, were, they so admired the fact that he did something for them that the doctors could not do. And we have people like that in our lives, people at work, maybe even people in this room, that you've experienced an answered prayer, you've experienced God's goodness in an area of your life, you've experienced uh, the warmth of Christian friendship here within the church, um, but you really, really like Jesus, but you have not committed to following Jesus. And that's what a disciple is. The disciple is someone who steps across the line and says, not only do I like you, but I am going to surrender my life to you and I'm going to begin to follow you. And that was Jesus' goal, not only with the 12 disciples, but it was his goal for all of us, that we would step across that line into full discipleship and begin the process of following after him. And we see that that decision to follow after him is actually, thank you, Les, um, is actually a catalyst that begins to unlock some things that otherwise would not be unlocked. In fact, standing here, you really are like a voyeur looking from the outside in, trying to be a part of what's happening in here, but never really fully satisfied. And I would challenge you, if you're the type of person who really likes the idea of Scripture, likes the idea of Jesus, you like the idea of the Word of God, you like being around God's people, you like to sing the songs, you like the feeling of being in the presence of God, and yet, at the same time, there, it feels like something is missing. Like when you go to pray, you're not, you're not close to God, you're trying to push your prayer through a brass ceiling, or, or you don't necessarily feel like God's actually answering prayer for you, or you don't feel like uh, when you pray that for someone who's sick that there'll be a breakthrough and healing will take place. If you, feel like, if you feel like you're on the outside looking in, it might be because you are. That there's no raising your hands to say, I believe in God, does not make you a disciple. It just doesn't. Well, it's one of the reasons why here in our church family, there will be times where I'll, I'll ask you to make a decision by raising your hand or to come forward, but those are just physical movements that are valuable, but if you don't internally step across the line and surrender your life, then these things don't unlock. But when you do surrender your life, when you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, it unlocks some things that maybe you didn't even realize and, and removes that feeling of being an outsider and allows you to step across the line and begin to experience the things that we see in the New Testament of the, of the Bible. And stepping across, again, is a catalyst. When I was a, a kid growing up for a probably about five or six years, my dad was, had gone to auto, auto body school, and we always had some junk cars around the house that we were rebuilding. Uh, everything, uh, my first car was actually a car that the struts, strut housings had rotted out because on the East Coast, they used salt to cover the, the snowy roads and, and the icy roads. And that ice or that salt back in the 70s and in the 80s, it would rust, it would rust out a Toyota in a year and a half. I mean, almost brand new vehicles, the spot welds down the side of a, of a truck bed would start to pop because that, that salt was so strong. So there was always something. We were cutting out a panel. We were welding in a new panel. We were, then one of the things that we would do when you get towards the end is you would use a, a product called Bondo. It's, it's actually a filler product. It's when after you get done welding and tapping and getting the metal almost back to original, but probably not perfect, 
you spread some of this filler or bondo across uh, all of the imperfections, and after it hardens, you end up sanding it off and getting that thing just smooth like it was from the factory. Uh, the interesting thing about bondo is it comes in two different containers. You've got a container of what we call the mud, the, the basic um, components of the, the bondo itself, the, the filler itself. And then you had a small tube of, of uh, what we called hardener. And it's weird because in both of these standalone components, if you were to pour some out on a piece of, uh, on a platter of each of these and leave them out overnight, you'd come back in the next day and they would still be soft and putty-like. But the moment you took this hardener and mixed it in with the Bondo, it began to heat up and a chemical reaction, a catalytic reaction began to happen. That it was the introduction of these two things together began to unlock something that you otherwise would not see or even think would exist. And as that Bondo began to heat up, as you mixed the the hardener in with the putty, you'd smear it across the surface that you were trying to repair and wait about 10 minutes and that stuff would turn it hard as a rock. And then you'd begin to shape it and then eventually sand it down. And those two were able to go from that liquid putty form to being hard like steel because of the catalytic reaction. Something about those two things coming into contact and a property is unlocked. And when you step across the line to say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you, there are a number of things that begin to unlock that we see in Scripture. We talked about a couple of them last week. Uh, the first one we talked about uh, was that it ignites spiritual life. I mean, you just you step across the line, and it's like you become spiritually born for the first time. You become very aware of God's presence, of God's love for you, of the reality of God here, present on earth. Not someday in heaven when we get there, but you begin this, this personal relationship your, the, the, the spiritual life is just unlocked. It's almost like, and it, it's because it, it was this way, you were born spiritually dead, but when you say yes to following Jesus, your spirit comes alive on the inside of you as it comes into contact with the Holy Spirit. And so you begin to experience spiritual life and the reality of who God is and what he's done for you. That all is very profound. Uh, another catalytic reaction that we talked about is the uh, fact that he provides intimate access to God. When you step across this line, Jesus said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. And as a disciple, he places his Holy Spirit inside of you. The presence of God lives within you. Not that you always feel that so incredibly strong, but you can access it at any time. In fact, the more you access the presence of God, the more accessible it is. It's like a path through the woods that as you dialogue with God and step into his presence, you can quickly step back in. You don't have to rely on Sunday's worship team or going to a special men's conference, although those things are great and helpful and are an extra push into God's presence. The beauty is that I don't have to wait till then. I can Monday afternoon after things are going sideways, I can step into God's presence. My car on the commute home Regardless of the people in the left lane who are going too slow, I can still have an encounter with God, right? So we have that instant access to God. And if you, if you don't feel like you have access to God, my question is to you, have you surrendered your life to him? Because discipleship will unlock that. Not to say it's always going to be simple, but it will unlock it so that you will always have access and the ability to have an intimate relationship with God. Uh, thirdly, today, I want to step into number three, and number three is that 
Uh, following Jesus establishes a family bond amongst disciples. Um, all of you are part, part of family. Some of you um, don't know your natural family or you're maybe, uh, for whatever reason, not with your natural family. You were adopted, um, which is a beautiful picture of really what God does to bring us into his family. Um, but there's something that's profound that's deeper than even genetics when you step across this line. The reality is when you step across this line into a relationship with Jesus, you become family with God. God in his word reveals that he begins to call you his son. He begins to call you his daughter. He begins to treat you like his children, like his family. And that bond is stronger than any family relationship that you will ever experience. Because the truth is, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your child can never really fill that relational gap that only God can fill anyways. Uh, how many of you were raised in an imperfect home? Every single one of you, I don't care if your last name's even, uh, you're one of the younger Maoris. You're not raised in a perfect home, uh, even though it would seem like that, okay? Uh, and I say that sincerely but kiddingly because none of us are perfect. The beauty of stepping into a, the family of God is that you now have the perfect father, you have the perfect brother, and these relationships are deep and will carry you throughout the rest of your life. Now, if you have unfortunately bought into the victim mindset that, you know, my family wasn't what it, what it should have been, and I've been robbed, and I'm missing some things in life, welcome to, the, welcome to humanity. Even the best of parents fall short and cannot provide, sometimes the best of parents cannot figure out the components that unlock the complexity of the child that lives with them. And maybe they have two or three kids and one lock is easy to unlock and the other one is like some sort of labyrinth of insanity, it feels like. What does this child need? And that is just part of the mysteries of life. And whatever category you fall into, the beautiful thing is... Um, God's grace is sufficient, and God wants to be your father. And so instead of being a victim and complaining and leaning back and saying, well, it would be, have been so much better if, yes, it would have been so much better, but it can be so much better. And that's the beauty about a relationship with God. Whatever I lacked on whatever level is all made up for in stepping into a relationship with God. I've been through that dilemma where feeling like I am, I am missing out and don't have tools that I need because of some of my upbringing, and God has always reminded me, but I'm your father. I'm your perfect father. I won't let you down. I've got my eyes on you. I'm going to help you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dial, dial you in. Listen to me. Don't treat me with the same offset as you've treated your natural parents because your posture that leans back from me out of being triggered by mom or dad will keep me from being able to function in your life. And so I've had to lean forward in my embrace with the Father, and he has certainly leaned forward my direction and has made up all of those differences. It's been a journey that he's had to build some of those things, correct some of those things. But listen, that's part of what discipleship is. Discipleship is a process. It's not just I step across the line and everything's perfect. I don't know what that sound effect was, but ta-da! Uh, this, is, this is what my grandchildren do, often do a lot of times. Ta-da! And they're presenting usually their brother or sister, which I didn't know they needed that type of ta-da because I've known them since they were born. But 
My grandson will introduce his little baby sister. Ta-da! And uh, we don't just ta-da in our, our walk. The process of discipleship is just that. It's a process. And so it's like, like this picture I have on the, on the board behind me. It's the process of God beginning to whittle into your life and fix the things that are, are broken, to add the things that are missing, to remove the things that shouldn't be there because he's a faithful father. And you could trust him to be able to do this. Sometimes parents have an agenda. And I'll speak as a parent. This has been a thing that I've really fought against, to have an agenda that supersedes my responsibility. I have a responsibility to raise my children up in the house of God, to serve God, to be productive in society, to work hard, to have good relationships. Uh, but it's, it's definitely outside of my realm trying to plan my child's life out and be the loudest voice in their world. I remember when Leslie, who is our firstborn, when she was considering a career, all I could think was, well, let's direct her in the arena where she can go and make money. And so we began to push into her mind, you know, the, you know, the medical field is a great industry. You ought to be able to consider this. And as a young, impressionable uh, young lady, and there's nothing wrong with the medical field, uh, she began to like lean into that and consider that. But it's one little problem. She didn't like to touch people. <laughs> she likes a little bit of distance, if you know her, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, to, to, to be a doctor and to go where no man, other man goes with, you know, substances and all sorts of stuff, it just, there had to be that moment where she raised her hand like, I, I don't want to do that. And it's not that that was... Our, necessarily our agenda for her, but we were trying to help out. But I think in my case, I had overstepped my bounds. And what I've tried to do is to offer input when asked. Always be, I don't stop being a parent. I don't stop being a, a discipler. My kids, my grandkids will always be a part of who I'm discipling. And yet there's boundaries because ultimately I'm not Lord. God's got a better plan than I do. So I really challenge you, you know, moms and dads, as your children get older, you never stop parenting but you, you definitely, you know, you stop demanding and you stop trying to be God. And you lean back and you watch God become God. And you don't try to save every day. Because if you save every day, you get in God's way. Right? Uh, every time there's a need, you don't answer every need. Of course, when they're an infant, they need food. Uh, well, you know, you need to grow up and get out there and cook something. The child's six months old. Okay? No. But a 42-year-old son living in your basement, it's time for him to start to learn how to cook. Amen. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I, uh, Tony, I, I, get on my hobby horses. I apologize. Uh, we trained our kids. Look, you, start, you start doing your laundry when you're, I don't know, maybe like in the fifth grade. You start, you, you got chores around the house. And no, you're not. These are chores. We all have chores. Nobody pays me to, to clean the back porch. It hasn't happened yet. It's part of being a family. And so uh, the, the second part about this uh, family bond that God establishes with his disciples is not just he's not just their father. They now, if they're truly disciples, they step into a very deep, intimate relationship with one another in a family setting. As you read through the scripture, you will discover all of these verses, like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, refers to the family of believers. 
And that word is very intentional. It's a word that we use here because we don't want to, uh, at least what I see in church culture, the reason why we have a bunch of likers of Jesus is because we've turned the church into Walmart. Oh, you need this. We have this. Come enjoy this. Oh, I really like this. This is great. Oh, you need that. Well, we'll set up that so that you can enjoy that. And we have people who don't function as family. We have people who function as likers, and likers are always likers because of what they get. Sound like a child, right? But family has a whole different function that takes place. We're committed to one another beyond just liking or what I get out of this. I was talking with one of our interns this morning, and she was helping me to make a decision, and she was making a decision based not on what meant the most to her, but what also would help somebody else. And that's what family does. Family begins to see this is not just somebody who has a grocery cart next to me and we're fighting over who can get the best product and the best deal until this place no longer carries this and then I'm out because there's other grocery stores. But a family not only moves forward as individuals, but we help one another to move forward and we serve one another and we all have a role to play within the family of God. And as you read through scripture, if if you are a disciple, you will naturally begin to function in a familial sense with other disciples. If you don't see it as family, if you see church as a place that I go, a sermon that I hear, a thing that I gave to them, them, uh, a thing I did for them, it's uh, something that I have to do for those guys, That's not, those are not family terms. But when you step into discipleship, it's the thing I get to do for God. It's actually not something I get to do. It's my response for all that he's done for me. You know, I, you know, why should I make my bed? Because I provided it for you. Because there's a room here for you to sleep in. Because this is how you would say thank you to help keep a tidy house. And that in a, in a natural home, that family motivations become different. Also, motivations within the church family become a lot different. You know, it becomes, um, there's incredible ownership in discipleship. You care about the future. You care about the person next to you. You care about the person who left. You care about the person who's just showing up. You're committed to not a place and not just a leader. You're committed to one another as brothers and sisters. And within that, there's a discipleship role for you to play in those individuals' lives. First Corinthians talks about us being a part of the body um, as many members, but as many members, we make up the one body. There's a lot of people out in, in culture, and I know this is not you, but their declaration is, I don't need to go to church to believe in God. But I will tell you this, I need to have, uh, I, if I'm a disciple, then I have to have a family. If I like God, I don't need a family. I probably don't want a family because I don't want to be accountable. I want to put whatever goes in my cart that I want to enjoy, even if it includes some things that shouldn't go in there. And I certainly don't want anybody telling me that it shouldn't go there. But if I'm a disciple, I, I, I have family and there's a commitment in my heart to that. It was one of the most amazing things for me when I first became a Christian to step into those types of relationships with people of all ages. I remember a man named Raoul Audet, who was a miracle guy, uh, had scars all over his body, a big kind of a chunk missing on the backside of his head. He was a man who did aluminum siding and his ladder fell into the power lines and he was electrocuted and died. 
and in the process had a vision and woke up and ended up giving his life to Jesus and became very, very active at trying to win other people. And that was a church I stepped into. The church was filled with many men, especially contractors that he had reached, invited to church, who experienced the, the discipleship is the best way I can describe it. And I remember the day that Rael picked me up and he said he needed help. He didn't need any help. Rael just wanted to spend some time and invest in me. And as a 19-year-old as a guy, it's so uncommon in culture for a 45, 50-year-old man to pick up a 19-year-old young man. It's like they're, they're two different worlds, it seems like. And, you know, why, why would I waste my time with that person? We have nothing in common. And yet, that's very much was a older older brother or father figure, somebody who saw me, saw me maybe wobbling as I'm riding along following Jesus and his invitation. I remember riding in the car and I just, I just listened to him. He just told me story after story of all of God's faithfulness. And I was, honestly, I was kind of very low that day when he picked me up. And by the end of that car ride, I felt like I was flying on, on eagle's wings. And, and I recognized something that had happened. It was him what was he doing? He was, he was lifting up Jesus. And in lifting up Jesus, the water level began to rise, and I began to float with it and went from, oh, life is so tough, to God is good, and, and God's got great things for me. It was that fellowship and that encouragement. And so that's one of the beautiful things, and, and I see it happen pretty regularly in our church family, older guys getting together with younger guys, older women getting together with younger women, grandmoms with moms, even uh, teenagers, and all sorts of good interactions as there's a mutual family relationship, and that's absolutely how it should be. Uh, it is imperfect, however, because you grew up with imperfect parents. If you expect this place to be perfect, I promise you, for every time I hear a person say, yeah, that church really hurt me, and I, I always have wanted to say, and so how did your, did your family ever hurt you? Because the church is filled with imperfect people, and so is your family. And to be honest with you, God can draw straight lines with some crooked sticks. He does it all the time. You know how I know? Because he's done some good things through you. There's nothing perfect about you. There's only perfect Jesus, and yet God uses you to do some great things even though you're crooked to a degree, and, and being perfected but crooked. And guess what? Your leaders, your, your youth leaders, your pastors, some of the other ministry leaders in the church, they're going to be imperfect. Did you get hurt? Yeah, okay, well, here's the thing is, there's a chapter after you got hurt. There's a way to work through that in a family and also in a church family. And for you to pull the pin and cancel somebody and just disappear almost even proves the fact that it's not family, that you're just a liker and just a shopper wanting to fill your cart. In fact, I believe that in some of the biggest conflicts in life is where the true discipleship is ground out. And that in that, in that moment, God, God didn't author that moment, but that breakdown that happened can become some of the strongest glue that binds the family together and prepares you for your future. You're working through conflict with another person is a beautiful, godly thing. Whether it's you don't like somebody who did, who, you know, that made fun of your shoes um, or somebody who didn't pay attention to you or somebody who spoke the truth in love but didn't support your, your latest ridiculousness. Because we all have some, right? Okay. Can I move, move along and just finish up here? I'm almost done. Uh, 
Yeah. Okay. Let me move on to the next uh, little piece. Got two more, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to land this fairly quick. Um, uh, being a disciple is a catalyst that compels us. Uh, oh, there we are. Positions us. Oh, positions his words as the source of life. My wording was a little bit different in my notes. Um, the beautiful thing about stepping across this thing is it takes that Bible that you maybe have in your hand or, or on your computer. Uh, I, I'm a digital reader. Um, I do like a paper Bible, but man, carrying that around with me, I love that I can carry my phone or whatever and, and have 100 books and have 100 Bible verses and a whole lexicon of all sorts of things to study the Bible with. So I use an electronic Bible, but that goes from being just a historical book with a bunch of rules unto like an, a life-giving umbilical cord. That the word of God is, is the very thing that invited me across this line. The word of God is the very thing that opened my eyes to the awareness of who God is. And it's the thing that sustains me daily in the Old Testament when, as Jenny was sharing about the uh, people going from Egypt, slavery, to the promised land, that journey of eating the same thing every day, they ate something called manna. It was Flakes of like, like bread that fell from the sky that they were able to bake that began on day one from their journey of stepping out of Egypt and stopped the day that they stepped into the promised land. And they ate that manna on a daily basis. And if they tried to save it for the next day, it actually was spoiled and would turn to worms and become infected and unhealthy. And it's a, it's a picture of the Word of God, the fact that we need the Word of God not just to step into a relationship with God, but we need it on a daily basis to be sustained. The word of God, when you step across as a disciple, it goes from being a bunch of commands and do's that you must do and don'ts that you must not participate in and something that you must be disciplined and you better read your Bible to it becomes this moment where, ooh, I'm downloading the word of God, the promises of God, direction from God. And it's less of a historical book than it is the fresh Word of God to the direction of your life for today. I find that on a daily basis, not every day, but most days, that if I step in with a correct posture to read the Word of God, and I start my day off by saying, Lord, what do you have, me for, have for me today? Whether I'm reading a book of the Bible or I'm reading the Bible in a year, if I approach it that way and I say, Lord, what do you have for me today? It's amazing that the Word of God becomes like living words and speaks directly to my situation. And so I don't have to wander around all day, oh, I wonder what I should do. Oh, I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. There's that constant real audet that I can only get together with once in a while who's going to share the word of God with me. I have a living word that I can access on a daily basis and feel that water level raise up every single day. Amen? And so read the word of God, and my challenge to you is if you are a disciple, you will crave it. If you're a liker, you will see that as an obligation. But I promise you, when you say, yes, Lord, I give you my life, and you step across that line, it'll shift for you without you intentionally trying. It will become the word that you hunger and that you long for. All right, last one. Look how quick I got through that point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, final one. Uh, the catalyst of becoming a disciple will compel disciples to invite others to come across onto this spot on the playing field. It's just, it just becomes a mission. For disciples, 
they see every relationship through this lens. They just do. And they're, they're driving. It's like a part of the operating system in the background that you don't always talk about, but it's always a part of it, whether it's someone who walks into this church for the first time, or it's a neighbor who moves in, or you're at a new job and you've got new coworkers for disciples. It, it's a process of trying to figure out where does this person stand? Are they a never Jesuser? Are they an unbeliever? Are they a liker? Or are they a disciple? And how can I get them to come this way? And, and the reason why is because this spot where you walk means so much to you. You've experienced so much forgiveness, so much favor, so much blessing, so much intimacy, so much life coming from God that you look at everybody else over there and your deep passion is that I want them to experience what I've been able to enjoy myself. Now, a liker is a little bit ambivalent. Uh, he's like, ah, look at all the great stuff I've got in my shopping cart. Oh, you don't have any in there. Sucks to be you. <laughs> it keeps on going. Or, or thinks, you know, what, what they really need is a little bit of God in their shopping cart. But, ah, you know, it's just not appropriate. You know, I don't want to offend them. Because it's, you know, it's, it's all about liking as a, and being liked as opposed to a deep passion for people to experience all that God offers. Now, it doesn't necessarily put every bumper sticker possible all over your van, okay? It doesn't mean necessarily standing on a street sign, but it's looking for the opportunity to speak at an appropriate level to the never-Jesusers because they're always worth speaking to. However, again, there's a, there's a stewardship with that. Don't waste all of your time arguing with these people. I would say that from a discipleship standpoint and a political standpoint. Just, just save your words for someone who's going to listen. Not that you don't never talk, but talk at an appropriate level over here, okay? Because it's heated and they're not listening. Just live your life and let the good works that God does in and through you be the attractant that draws them this way. You can't argue with that essence that flows out of somebody who's experiencing life. And so live your life. But you can lean harder into this discussion and an invitation to Acts night. Or you can have a dialogue with someone living here and you begin to recognize they've really not made a commitment to Jesus and you begin to invite them and share stories with them. It's even in this spot, it's still the same thing, seeing a disciple grow in the process and disciples deeply desire that partially because it's the command that we see in Matthew 28. This is our marching orders. This is your mission. This this is, once you step over this line, this is Jesus' instructions to you. This is Jesus' instructions to our church. We have an agenda. We're not backing off of it. We're not interested in just getting you to like Jesus and give some money and show up and push some buttons for us. That's not what we're after. We're after seeing you surrender your life to Jesus and then discover purpose and family and life and all of that type of thing, right? But as you do that, your great commission is to go and make disciples. In other words, standing here, look in your world, figure out how you can bring people this way, right? The worship team is going to come. I'm going to share just a final story. Every uh, disciple see every relationship as discipleship in process. And I really do see those never Jesusers as disciples in process. I've watched never Jesusers give their life to Jesus. It's a process that God uses lots of people and circumstances and situations. And while they were arguing like wild men, 
against your Jesus, there comes a moment where Jesus reveals himself. Paul, the apostle, was Saul, the Christian killer. He was a never Jesus, sir. Adamant. In fact, you say you have Jesus, let me snuff you out. And he felt like he was doing a favor for God. Don't you ever, listen, God can save anybody. Don't ever cancel anybody. Don't cancel them. Don't cut them off. You know, have appropriate boundaries, but always be inviting them to Jesus. Amen? Um, I, I was out cutting the lawn yesterday, and uh, we've got, we live in a new neighborhood, and a lot, a lot of acreage where we live, and so you don't really see your neighbors. I mean, you might see somebody, a couple cars go by of the neighbors, but like your mailbox is 500 yards from anybody else's mailbox. So I've been sporadically meeting some of the neighbors. Uh, we had some neighbors walk up the road at Christmas time, and uh, they had made some Christmas cookies to welcome us to the neighborhood. And so we stood there and we talked for a little while and introduced ourselves. And it's, what, what month is this? Is this June? Is it May? We're June, right? Okay. It seems like yesterday that he gave me those cookies, or she gave us those cookies. And about five seconds after that, they were devoured because they were really good. And yesterday he was out mowing his lawn and I was mowing my lawn and we stopped our tractors and I stepped across the road. And here's, here's just, it's always my vantage point. I can't help it. I can't turn it off. It's not just a mission. It's, it's like, ah, he, he began to share with me. He's a believer, strong believer. Hasn't been in church since before COVID. And the reason why is his wife has an autoimmune deficiency the doctors can't figure out. They say that she has some type of blood cancer that she will likely die of, but they don't know when and can't really identify it. So she's injected with a syringe once a month of stuff. And they have not been in church, and, and she wants to be in church, but have not been in church since prior to COVID because the literal fear of what happens if I get, because her immune system is not working. Now, her, her physical situation is very real. And yet, how many of you know, all that, my antennas are up like, and I'm standing over here and I'm getting angry, not at him, not at her. I'm getting angry. And he's telling me qualities about his wife. This is a couple that's about our age, have a generational house on the property. So they have a son, a daughter and a son-in-law that live on the property, another son and daughter-in-law that live off the property. And COVID was challenging for them because one of them is a pharmacist and the other one was a, a firefighter who did not get the vaccine. You wanna talk about a family having a crisis during that season. And they've worked through it and they long to be back in church, but there's that fear. And my, my, my thing went off, I said, hey, listen, would you be okay if at some point my wife and I come and pray for your wife? He's like, oh yeah. I said, now listen, I, I just gotta warn you. I'm, uh, this is gonna be, I'm angry. This is not right. I Don't hear it, hear the wrong thing. Don't hear that you lack faith, nothing like that. What I want you to hear is this is not the will of God for your life. This is not the future for your wife. This is not his plan for her life. This is not how the story ends. This is not how it's going to be. And he was excited like that. You could tell this guy's like a guy. He's like, oh, yeah. And we began to talk about the, the idea of the fact that sometimes illness is you need healing and other times it's spiritual. And I told him, my experience has been that when there's these undiagnosable mystery illnesses, 
We see that in the Bible, there can be spirits involved with that. And Jesus didn't heal those people when it looked like they needed a healing. He cast that spirit out. And as I begin to share that with him, you could just see it's like, he's like, oh my gosh, I did, can you send me that scripture? I didn't realize that. Yes, please, please text me right now. Give me your phone number. I'll, we'll set it up that you can come over and we can pray. And I just shared some of your stories with him. The healing is, we, we've got a, I don't know if he's here today, we have a newer family in the church. Uh, the husband's name is Shane and he had back surgery like 20 years ago and he's been dealing with chronic back pain. And last week he asked for prayer and we called some of the interns together and some other leaders in the church. And as we laid hands on him, he, you, could, you could hear it in his voice. Oh, thank, thank you, Lord. Th- thank you, th- Lord, thank you. And when we got done praying, he says, I feel the spasm has released. There's, I have no pain. And I just looked at him and smiled. I said, yeah. Praise God, yes, but that's our expectation. Why? Because people are hurting and they, they need help. And God is a helper, amen? And so even in your discipleship, there's that, that, that process. And I'm believing for God, if not in our church, some church that this couple attends, but I'm believing for her full healing. Why? Because we're to go to make disciples. And there's a spot in their, their understanding, maybe a prayer that wasn't quite gelled up where it needed to be. And I spoke the word of God to that in faith. I could have been just polite as a good neighbor and just kept my mouth shut. Or I could have been rejected for what I said. Or maybe the kingdom of God advances and discipleship expands and people's lives take on a bigger picture. And maybe someday he's someone in our church laying hands, maybe on your grandchild, your child who's been diagnosed with a mystery illness. That thing's broken off in Jesus' name. Stand with me. Let's pray. I invite you to become a disciple today. If you've been sitting on the fence, I can tell you that is a physical dangerous spot to straddle a fence. This one be barbed wire, razor wire, my friend. Don't straddle this fence. You can't have two, one foot in, one foot out. I invite you to step across the line. Give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Stop being a consumer. Stop being a shopper. Stop being a church attender. Stop being a Bible reader. Be a follower of Jesus that has spiritual life, has family in your world, who hears the word of God, and who is on mission. Amen? So as we pray, if you need to say yes to, I, to following Jesus, say yes. Let me know afterwards that you did. We'll get you a book called Following Jesus. We'll help you with the process, but step across the line. I don't care if you've been coming here for 15 years, part of our church family somehow connected. If you've just a follower, it's time to step across the line, become a disciple. Father, I thank you for your family, the people who are becoming a part of your family. Lord, you invite us first into the crowd so that we can hear your teaching, so that we can see what you're doing. Then you do the miraculous in our lives to invite us a little bit closer. Lord, you, you did the, mir- the miraculous in unbelievers' lives, in tax collectors' lives, in, in Roman centurions' lives who were holding hostage and actually slave owners to the Israelites. And yet you did the miracles in their life so that they would move from unbelieving to liking. And, but for every one of them, there came that moment of come and follow me. And so today we hear that call For those of us who are disciples, we say yes to the call today. Yes to all that it unlocks because it's it's so much in our favor. And Lord, for those saying yes for the very first time, I say yes, I will follow you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen and amen. 
Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to like and subscribe and visit us at c3swwa.com for more information about our church.